the only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Good afternoon, I'm Ian Stone and this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm joined this week by our regular guests, The Athletic writers, James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, nice to see you guys. And as always, a man who needs no introduction. So let's get on with it. Uh, now, it's, <laughs> Lee Dixon is on the line, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, Lee. I think we might have actually lost him. I'm here. Oh, that was good. That was on the edge of being annoying. We thought we'd talk fullbacks this week, uh, not least because we have one of the ex- finest exponents uh, of the art on the show. Before we get into the nitty gritty, we were thinking about our favourite Arsenal goal by a fullback. Uh, so we just go round the table. Uh, James, let's start with you, James. Well, I mean, I probably should be saying a Lee Dixon goal, shouldn't I? But Coventry 91, <laughs> what a brilliant goal. That's <laughs> skill. Uh, I am going to go for uh, a game I was at, actually, and it's Silvino at Stamford Bridge from left back. Brilliant strike, about 30 yards out into the near top corner. And I was there and went absolutely mental. So it's got to be that one for me. It's a good goal, Amy. It was, and similarly was the Nigel Winterburn one that was yeah. just a few years earlier, which was an absolute rocket. And that that side terrace that they had at Stamford Bridge there, um, which was quite narrow, and the sun was kind of really beating and it was boiling. Uh, and I just remember it being hot and everyone going mental. But that wasn't actually my goal. Um, I was going to choose a, a slightly more obscure Nigel Winterburn goal because not many of us saw it. Arsenal played Scarborough in the FA Cup. I think it was the FA Cup um, in the early 90s. Can't even remember what year. Sorry. Um, And I I went and the game was originally scheduled for whenever it was and then got postponed for weather and was rescheduled for some for the I think it was the 23rd of December. It was really close to Christmas. Um, And I was living in the north, but not quite as north as Scarborough and set off on an intrepid journey in a pea super to Scarborough on my own and it felt like a kind of Hitchcock journey it was really I was really scared I was driving about one mile an hour couldn't see and we got there and everybody thought oh, this game's not going to go on and you can't see um and I think just they couldn't they didn't want to reschedule it again so the game was played nobody I didn't see a single thing and then as if by magic the fog lifted for about 10 seconds which is when Nigel Winterman scored and then the fog came down again <laughs> Hey, Amy, that was that was um, we didn't we didn't even see it go in the net, but that was just remi- just reminding me that night because obviously and this links into talking about fullbacks because I I can't remember the guy's name. I was marking this lad on the left wing during the game, and it was so thick the fog. I decided to um, go into intimidation mode, and I said to him at one point, I said. You do realise that if I punch you now, no one is going to see this off the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and the lad looked at me and he went, oh, and, and, I, and then I just kind of walked off and it just, I just lodged the seed in his brain that at any moment now I could be coming in from the, the, the thick pea soup and give him a right-hander <laughs> off the ball. But I didn't. That was football was back in the day. Just for, just for the sake of accuracy, um, producer Tao has reminded us that it was in fact a League Cup fourth round game in 1992-93. So oh. any statos out there that were, uh, were really keen to know more, there you go. Lee, do you have a favourite fullback goal? I mean, is it one of yours? 
Um, I did enjoy the um, the diving header at Newcastle against um, David Ginola because I was basically trying to run away from him as much as I could <laughs> and drag him up the other end of the pitch. And lo and behold, the cross came in, hit me on the top of the head and went in the top corner. So I did enjoy that one. But how can anyone love a Nigel Winterburn goal and not have the 89 right foot at home against Wimbledon? I mean, that's Oof. my all-time favourite goal of a fullback, especially with Nigel, based on the fact that was the only ever time he used his right foot and, <laughs> and, got, the, and got the point that basically won us the league, I suppose. If you've got a really one-footed player like that, I mean, is, do, do you go on about it or do people try and target it in training or something like that? Oh, what's it like? Yeah, well, he's, well, he's just laughable. Yeah, he was laughable. He's, he's right. His right foot was laughable. So, but he's, he's so good on his left side. That he, left. He, uh, yeah, nobody got past him. And even if he went on his inside, which we played showing inside, but onto his weaker foot, it was basically like a, a kipper dangling off a piece of string. We used to call him Kipper Foot, and, and it was because he couldn't do anything with it. So, but that's so that's why that goal is the best for me. Well, I'd like to choose. I mean, Amy, you mentioned it, Nigel Winterburn against Chelsea in the three-two. Oddly enough, because I was at that game as well, but I was sitting in the uh, in the Chelsea bit with Johnny Vaughan. Oddly enough, uh, to the <laughs> and it was and it was one of the scarier moments of my life because I, in the end. I couldn't admit I was an Arsenal fan. I just could not. So you can only imagine how it felt when Nigel plants one in the top corner from 30 yards out. And I have to sit with Johnny Vaughan and his mates going, well, I thought that was quite a decent goal, didn't you? <laughs> Considering <laughs> well, the Arsenal lot went completely crazy beneath us. I don't think, and I met him a few years. I never told him. I thought I won't tell him. But it, and, and by the way, that was the last time I ever watched an Arsenal game when I wasn't sitting with our own fans. Because it's no fun. Oh, it's a horrible experience. It's, yeah. it's no fun at all. Well, I was, I was uh, in, I was with the Tottenham supporters in two thousand four. Ah, yes. We'll come back to it another yes. day, maybe. Ah. Yes. But that was tricky. Ah. We're different, interesting. Well, we'll we'll come we'll come back to that. I want to. I mean, listen. Obviously, we are going to talk fullbacks this week. We had a little WhatsApp chat uh, in the week. Uh, someone mentioned the rehabilitation of Ainsley Maitland Niles, which to me sounds like an art house movie. Uh, but he does. Seem to have been, it's the sort of thing, you wouldn't want to go, would you? Go and see it. But he does seem to have been convinced that he can make a go of that position, right? I mean, he kept Wilf quiet, I thought, uh, against Palace. Um, Lee, is it, I mean, you were you always a full-back, by the way? Were you always a right-back? Uh, well, no, I started off, believe it or not, I started off as a striker as a kid, and then... It, getting in, I was a schoolboy at Bolton as a right winger, and then when I got to Burnley, I was kind of on the edge of, well, he's not good enough to do that. Where shall we put him? Um, and then they, the left back was injured in a reserve game, and they said, "Can you play a left back?" And I said, "Just wanted to play." So I was like, "Yeah, I was a, I was a, a schoolboy at that time as well." So I went, "Yeah, of course I can play left back." And I played left back, and and then the week after played right back, and that was it. Never moved from that moment onwards. So. I think there's a lot of fullbacks nowadays that have certainly had a history further up the pitch and and you end up sort of sliding back to what what seemed like a natural position once I once I played there I went well this is this is it. this is kind of like where I should have been all that time but and you know so I, I guess learning learning the ropes elsewhere on the pitch does help when you uh, 
but you still got you know you, ultimately you've still got a job to do and you've got to learn the the ropes as as a defender and that's you know that's that was all down to george so. that takes i mean of yeah. course that takes time but we we made a list didn't we we were talking about the fact that lauren was a midfielder wasn't he mm-hmm. ashley cole was a striker of course and it does sorry Amy, you wanted to say i mean it does it's not a, a position that people you know, it's not like strikers where people go, I want to be a striker and they end up as a striker. Fullback's a slightly different thing. But, it, but I think it's particularly interesting in the case of someone like Lauren, for example, who, you know, was already an, an international and established player and hadn't played fullback before he was converted. I think someone like Ashley Cole or in Lee's case, the majority of players, they get converted somewhere during this sort of youth development period where, you know, everyone mm. can see there's a player there and, and you just slip further further back sometimes, especially from winger to, to fullback. But in Lauren's case, I remember him telling me um, when he first came to Arsenal and he didn't think he was going to be a fullback and Arsene Wenger sat him down and explained to him that he saw him playing fullback and he he sort of wasn't having it. He really was very, very reluctant. He said they had some quite intense conversations because it's just not where he wanted to play at mm. all. And obviously in the end, uh, he became a hugely successful fullback and just by the way, we've forgotten to mention it on the subject of great fullback goals, but that penalty against Tottenham. Oh, yeah. It was a good one, wasn't it? It was a really nice... And there was a lot of pressure on that. We were 1-1, weren't we? Huge pressure. We've had a few good penalty takers at right back. <laughs> but I, I think uh, I, I think it's interesting what you say in about kids not wanting to grow up playing fullback necessarily, because I wonder if that's changing now. It's becoming such a, a glamour position. You look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, ever since sort of Daniel Alves really kind of reinvented what a fullback could be in the modern game, I think it, it is probably quite an attractive proposition. The point that James makes, Lee... Is that is the way mm. that the position has changed? The demands on the position. I mean, you didn't. It's not that you didn't get over the halfway line that often. But I was going to say more no, than you I, couldn't. <laughs> but <coughs> what I mean is, it's a different position now, isn't it? Now they call it a wing back for a reason. Well, it it is. It's massively changed, and I think that to highlight that, you you go back to when Arsene Wenger came to the club and looked through everybody's contracts and then um, was assessing what everybody was earning. And me and Nigel got called into the, to the office and, and, he, and he basically apologised on behalf of the club because our contracts were so much less than everybody else's. Really? And, uh, and, he, and we instantly got pay rises uh, the next day and signed new contracts because he couldn't believe that we were... I think he saw the value in where the fullback, you know, the fullback position was. And then, you know, a few years later, you've got, you know, Ashley Cole arguably got leaving the club because of money, uh, because he wasn't being paid enough and went to a, a, um, our neighbours around the corner and got a huge amount of money. So the, the actual emphasis on, on what fullbacks did, the importance in the team, um, dramatically changed coincidentally when I retired. So it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, when you talk about getting less money than everyone else, it's probably a bit of a sensitive subject, and I think in most workplaces people don't like to talk about what they earn, but did you guys know that you were on less than some of your teammates? I mean, nowadays people seem to know wages, but I think maybe in those days it wasn't so much common. Well, it, was, it, it wasn't common knowledge. Players didn't really talk about their contracts. It was very secret, and then obviously now it's all, it's all in the open every week. You see what players are earning, and the, the media are all over it. Um, it's pretty obvious when you turn up to training and you've got the same car you had when I signed for Arsenal five years <laughs> later. 
And uh, having said that, David O'Leary had a, you know, a Ford Sierra that he'd had since he was signed for the club. So that was more of a joke, taking the mickey out of him for his car. But everyone else kind of would go up a, a, a model each year. And uh, me and Nigel were kind of going, yeah, you know, I'm, I've changed my mind. I'm going to spend the money on the house this year. You know, that, <laughs> that type of thing. But yeah, we, we were kind of, you kind of, I think, I think it was just given that you were probably the least paid player in the club because it was kind of the unfashionable uh, doing the doing the, the donkey work at the back and and not in the middle of the pitch. You tend, you know, the, the money tends to go down the spine of the pitch and then filters out to the wings. Uh, and then if there's any left, give those two the number three and the number two, yeah. give them what's left. So yeah. that's how it was, and and obviously that's exactly the opposite of what it is now because. You know the, the 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 transfer fees and the monies that you know the likes of Walker and Mendy and, and players like yeah. that are commanding now. And quite rightly so. I'm not. You know the game has changed and it is it is more of a glamour position than it was. Do you know I used to work in this office and I did my my incomings and outgoings on a little piece of paper and I lost it and somebody near me found a piece of paper and showed it to me. He goes, "Look at this. Pity the poor bastard who earns this." <laughs> <laughs> it was the most depressing day of my entire life. Uh, sorry, Amy, you wanted to ask a question. <laughs> I was there. just going to make a point about about fullbacks that um, in 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 sports journalism, the sort of the worst job that you get on a match day is is player ratings. If you have to go to the game <laughs> and give a mark out of ten for every player, in fact, it's yeah. doubly bad if you have to do it for for the for both teams. It's quite bad if it's one team, but it's really difficult if it's both. And Every time, it's like, how did the fullbacks do? You're asking your neighbour, like, have you got anything to say about them? This is <laughs> oh, back in but the this day, is interesting because obviously that wouldn't happen with Trent Alexander-Arnold. No, example. well, this so is so it just demonstrates. This is exactly the point. It does change, doesn't it? And when, so, Lee, basically, you're saying when you retired, it really the role of the fullback changed quite a bit. Yeah, I think I, I, you know it wasn't specifically on that day. But <laughs> <was it> <laughs> Finally, he's gone. We can get forward. But did it change under Arsenal? Lauren can have my number two shirt, and what a great job he did with it as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it slowly started to morph into into you know the and Ashley Cole was probably uh, one of the first in the in the English game to 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 take that step as being high profile. Um, you know, we we all know how good he became. I mean, he became, in my boy, he became the best left back in the world at one point. Yeah. He was so he was so good. You know, he was so good at, at getting forward. I mean, his delivery, to be fair to Ashley, not to be unfair to Ashley, his delivery and his goal scoring record was pretty bad for me. You know, he wasn't a great crosser of the ball, didn't score a lot of goals, but he, he, he aided a lot further up the pitch and, and made the winger chase him a lot as well going forward. So um, he's perhaps, you know, pr- probably when you look at, as you said, now the two Liverpool fullbacks and what they produce, then they're, they're the, the, the top echelons of what the, what the fullback role is all about now. Um, so if you take that, I mean, I'm a bit protective of, of how I played and, and, and Nigel and stuff because I'm still relatively old school and I think it's flipped a little bit the other way you know to to a little bit too um attack orientated but that's there's other players in the team to accommodate that it's just that the areas that you get exposed at now are slightly different than they were if the fullback was going to go forward when I was playing you know 
the cover necessarily wasn't there to so you get found out now and again now that doesn't happen because the so you know this holding midfield player drops in the two center halves are very happy at going wide and playing in a fullback role and so the the formations are a little bit more fluid than they were so what have you made Lee of Ainsley Maitland-Niles at right back when you look at him do you see do you see a right back there uh, I don't see a Lee Dixon right back, no. Um, <laughs> is, is that a good um, thing I'm, or a bad thing? No, I, I, I'm just saying it's different. He's, yes. the, 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 role, the role is different. So he's he struggled. Um, we, we, we know that. That's not necessarily um, his fault. He's, very, he, he's, he's a very laid back sort of character. So you kind of, you do get, you do get a body language thing with him now and again. You think, well, he's not really bothered, but and that's not obviously not true. Um, and he's he's learning a lot. He's learned a lot over the last um, period of him, of him getting back in the side and everything. He's definitely improving, um, but he's getting more protection. The team is slightly more um, focused on winning the ball back in certain areas. He's not getting. You know, he got absolutely. I've talked about it a million times Watford, at Watford. Yeah. But the poor lad, I just wanted to go on and give him a hug. I was doing commentary and I was like, oh, God, somebody help him out. For, yeah. You know, God's sake. It was just it was just awful. It was it was um, it, he just hung out to dry. And because he's he's not that he doesn't seem that vocal. He doesn't seem like he understands. Uh, let's say he understands the game. That's the wrong thing to say. But he's still learning the game. So he, he sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And he's like he doesn't really understand why he's getting exposed and what it needs to be done to fix it so that's not his fault that's a coaching thing and a, and a game management thing so but he, he's he's a I think he's a he's a willing runner we know we know that um and as you said um some of the games we've seen recently he's been vastly improved so I think he will improve under Arteta there's no doubt about that I think that individual ability to coach one-on-one will help him if, if Arteta's got time to do that now, which is debatable based on the fact he's now the manager. So, um, But yeah, I think he's got all the attributes to be, apart from whether he can learn the role and be able to coach himself. Because you have to learn, you have to learn when you're in a good position, when you're in a bad position and remember that. If you don't remember it, then next week and it happens again, you go, hang on a minute. So that's the learning curve for any player is learn your role and understand your role and then repeat and then go to bed, get up, eat, do the same thing. Yeah. And if you can do that and then the flamboyant, you know, the, the rest of your character comes out on top of your basics, then you end up being a good player. He's made it pretty clear that he didn't really see himself as a fullback. Um, yeah. Is it something, do you think he can learn to love it? I mean, it does seem like the most natural place for him to be in the team. I'm not sure where else he's going to be playing that much for Arsenal. Exactly. So Can't you learn to love being on the pitch? I mean, that's the exactly. point. You just want to play. First right? team player at Arsenal. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, what, that's what you have to do. You have to go, well, you know, you use your brain. You go, well, am I going to get in on the right side of midfield? No, it doesn't look like it at the moment. I'm going to play centrally. Probably not. Where am I going to play? Oh, that's, you know, and if you get, if some if the, if the manager's turning around and, and giving you a number I'm using the the number two, yeah. giving the number two shirt, and you go, oh, put that on, mate. You're going out, and oh, and by the way, it's got that cannon on your chest. Oh, right, brilliant. First Just eleven. A, you know, study, study. You know, go. I mean, now you have got literally no excuse 
to not be able to understand what what's required of you as a, as a player, let alone a fullback, because you've got tape, you've got every single kick of every single game at your fingertips, all the brilliant fullbacks, all you know, all all the things you can, you can can look at, you can look at all afternoon because you you've finished training at at one o'clock and you have a massage and go home. What are you going to do until you pick the kids up from school? Just go and watch two hours of tape. Lee, I mean, Lee, the thing you know, is, that's though, the way to do it. I, I understand the point you're making, but I was just thinking, I remember you saying to me once that Ashley Cole was taught how to be a, a defender by Tony yeah. Adams, by having Tony yeah. Adams next to him, and also you guys all being around yeah. him and telling him where to be and telling him what position to be in. I mean, yeah. Ainsley doesn't have that. No. No, that, and that's that's, you know, that's where... Arteta comes in and that's where your coaches come in but there's the, you're right the invaluable um, assets of having senior players or players who know the role next to you and 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 you know the difficult thing that he's got that stands out and we've all talked about it for a million years is the is the defensive not just the defensive line but the your your partner on the immediate inside of you you know, I played all my career with Steve Bold, Tony Adams, and Martin Keown. You know, I mean, if, if you can't learn from, if you can't work it out from there, you're in trouble. If you look at the the, the partners that he's got and the defensive frailty of the team, not just the back four, but getting getting exposed, being left one two v one, being in a position where you you're you haven't got any cover on your inside, so you basically. You know the line becomes your friend because there's nobody outside you, but on the inside, you've got you know you've got a big hole. So what do you do? You you end up playing in a false position to try and get yourself out of trouble, yes. even though it's yeah. not your fault. I don't know if it. I mean, Lee might say there's no chance of him hearing it, but on Ainsley Maitland-Niles is outside him in that first half on the touchline right by him. He had Mikel Arteta, and I was there on the day. Yeah, that's going to help. He's coaching him through the game, and every break yeah. in play. He had Maitland-Niles over, was talking to him about Zaha, talking to him about his spacing, about his distances. And that must yeah. massively help Maitland-Niles, the fact that he's got Arteta. He's the closest player. He's the only player probably who can hear what the coach is saying. There. I mean, that's the point, Lee. In a sense, uh, the wing-backs, because I think we should call them wing-backs at this point, they are going to be close to the manager for a half each. So that is going to help, isn't it? As opposed to playing central midfield, where it's more difficult to get instructions. Yeah, absolutely. But I've got to step in there and 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 just stop you talking about ridiculous naming of positions. That are <laughs> it's not a full, it's not a wing back. It's a full back, and wing backs become wing backs when they play further up the pitch and you've got the cover of another centre half. So let's get that sorted out right now. Right. Okay. Then that's us told. Um. I mean, well, that's we, you told. That's then. actually it was me told you because you were not going to go there. Okay. I mean, this whole thing uh, about about the modern player now, the crossing ability. I mean, you were talking about Ashley Cole. I remember watching Ashley Cole playing against Ronaldo in the uh, yeah. uh, in the Euros. I think it was in two thousand and six. And brilliant. It was yeah. It was one of the best defensive displays I've ever seen. But like you say, now the the whole the role has changed. You know, they talk about Alexander Arnold and uh, and um, uh, Robert Robertson, Andrew Robertson, and how and how many assists they get. Assists were yeah. not part of the game that you played, really. No, no, it was it, you know it was get it, give it your winger and support from behind. You go on an overlap if they come in, and you were, you were kind of 
that was about it. And now and again, you get the fluky goal in the top corner like Nigel got or I got against Newcastle with a header or blah. blah. But the, the actual repetitiveness of getting in a position like Davy Beckham used to get in and, and whipping amazing balls in is, is, you know, arguably the most important thing that they do for the team. Um, it helps when you it helps when you've got a structure that they understand a protection they understand and the uh, central midfield player helping the two centre backs out as I said but the the actual uh, fear that they put in the opposition is part of their weaponry now because they they people are scared of them so because they can't always get tight to them they start going into unusual positions defensively because they go, God, this amazing ball's going to come in at any... Oh, too late. Because he can, <laughs> you know, he, he can put it wherever he wants. And yes. the, amount of, the amount of area you've got to cover in a box when a ball is coming in at vicious pace with, with bend and, and whip into dangerous areas, you know, you probably get... Again, I mean... If you're playing Man United when we, you know, and, and Nigel was marking David Beckham, who's one of the best fullbacks around at stopping the cross, we knew that he would still get probably three or four in the game that would be unbelievable balls in. Yeah. I mean, he'd try 15 and, and four of them would get in the box. So there's four really good chances that they score. You're playing against Liverpool now, each fullback are knocking five or six a half in. <laughs> so you're talking 20 crosses that are potentially lead to goals. So and you and you look at why Liverpool is scoring so many goals. It's like doesn't take that much working out. Can I ask you, Lee, as a fullback, when you're overlapping, when you're getting towards the byline, you're making that cross. Are you looking to pick out a man? Are you looking to pick out an area? Because one of the things I noticed with this Arsenal team, Kalasnac, for example, is brilliant getting behind. He times his runs well. But a lot yeah. of the time it feels a little bit hit and hope once he gets there, that the quality of the delivery is not that good. I just wonder, from your perspective, what were you looking to do when you actually put those balls in? Well, f- firstly, I-, I had to wipe my nose, wipe the blood away from my nosebleed. <laughs> yeah. And then then think, can I get it? Can I hit it without it going in the North Bank? Um, once, I'd all, once I'd worked all that out, it was kind of like, you are, this is this is the thing, you're, you're, this is why Kalasanac doesn't look like uh, Alexander on the other side yeah. on, the, on Liverpool. It's because he's he's he gets in he'll get in the similar position, but because his quality is not the same, it looks as if he's just hitting hoping it, which he, he basically is hitting it in an area. Um, uh, with both Liverpool fullbacks, they are in a similar position. But they're hitting it in with such quality; it looks like they're picking players out. Yeah. And and there'll be times when they are. They'll they'll have time to say, "Oh, uh, Salah's made a near post run. I'll hit it there." But probably three quarters of the time they're hitting it in an area. But because the quality's so good, it looks like he's picking it. Goes to Mane's head at the far post. It looks like he's picked him out. Yeah. So. It, don't I'm say I'm doing them a disservice here. Don't be fooled by the fact that most of their crosses go to a red shirt. They've got brilliant runs from three yeah. of the best strikers in the league. Yeah. And they've got time and they've got areas to hit the ball in and their quality is super. So it's kind of like a it's like a, a mixed soup of all of that put together. I just wondered if that quality of delivery is the result of 
you know, 15 years of practice, you know, I mean, but basically, is there still hope for Ainsley Maitland-Niles or Kolasinac to improve in terms of the quality of their delivery? Or is by the time you're a professional, is that is that skill done or not done? Well, I was going to say, just sorry, Lee, just to jump in. I hope Kolasinac does improve because every time I sit next to Tayo and Kolasinac gets the ball, there's, there's an element of sarcasm when he goes, oh, here comes another great cross from Kolasinac. So I hopefully he will get better. Yeah, that you can you can you know finish training and take fifty balls and 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 cross the ball and uh, there's no doubt if you do that on a daily basis, you'll get better. Your crossing will get better because it's like any the human body adapts like playing darts. If you throw a million darts in a day, by the end of a month you'll be throwing darts better. But there's a the, I'm never going to win. I could throw seventeen million darts a day. And I'm never going to win the world championships because there's a certain <laughs> amount of talent in everybody's body, and you ma- you you have to maximise that amount of talent. Alexander Arnold is hugely talented kicker of the ball, and there's there there is a, a natural ability yes. in that, and there's also how much work you're willing to put in. So you can improve, but ultimately, you know, Nigel Winterburn or is never going to be as good a crosser as odd me let's use me as david beckham was so and i could you know i could i could be out there all day long but the, you can improve there's no doubt about that yeah yeah well hopefully it'll work out for kalasinac and uh, and ainsley uh, great to speak to you lee as always thanks for joining us my pleasure see you whenever we're on again he played a little bit with a handbrake This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz. (laughs) I'm looking at you, James. And tell (laughs) us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants a personal stylist. We'll then send you five items of clothing. You try them on, pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just 10 quid, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. You do not need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to save time, discover new styles and enjoy top styling tips. Wow, where do I sign? (laughs) It's tailor-made for me. Well, I'll tell you. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H fix.co.uk forward slash athletic and notice by the way I said H and not H okay well done I'm just putting that forward there. <laughs> anyone who does say H I think you anyway you shouldn't be allowed to vote <laughs> by the way on this day in 1995 John Hartson signed for 2 million quid from Luton Town which was a lot of money back in 1995 yeah, it was a lot of money. I don't remember too much of John Hartson Arsenal. I remember him leaving and going to West Ham and with playing with uh, Kitson, wasn't it? Up front, they stayed up and they did really well and it was sort of uh, kept them in the Premier League. But actually, of Hartson at Arsenal, you'll have to fill me in, Amy. Well, he arrived uh, a very big lad, very ginger, uh, a very sort of typical striker. He was a real old-fashioned striker who was, was a, mm. a bulldozer. He wanted to, you know, win the ball in, in the air. He'd run through proverbial brick walls. Um, he was a better player than I think people 
would give him credit for just because he had that sort of shape and build and, and stereotype about him. Uh, and I think he, you know, he enjoyed the life as well, which kind of was very much uh, of the era. Um, so whether or not that played an influence on, he was one of those, if memory serves, who, who left quite soon when Arsene Wenger came. Yeah, yeah. I, I seem to remember when Arsene came, there was a bit of discussion of maybe he would go for Hartson because he'd had Mark Haightley at Monaco and he kind of liked that sort of target man, but it didn't work out for him. And I think he left pretty swiftly after Arsene joined. Arsenal played AC Milan in the Super Cup in 1995 and I have a memory of John Hartson maybe scoring a disallowed goal or something of that ilk or scoring or something like that. But my memory of that mostly, and the reason I'm telling you this, is that that day, uh, oddly enough, as as you say sometimes uh, when you're going off on one of your (laughs) quirky stories, Stoney, I ended up being sort of chaperoned around Milan. It was at San Siro, the second leg of this game by uh, Malcolm MacDonald. Now, <laughs> just to put this into some context, Love this story. Malcolm MacDonald, who lived in, in Milan at the time, um, drove like a resident, uh, only a, on that day, <laughs> a fairly alcohol-fueled resident. Oh, dear. And it was one of the scariest experiences of my life, being driven around Milan at huge speed, um, like careering Mac. around by Supermac. Yeah. Uh, and he, I just remember when we got quite close to the ground, his attempt at parking basically just stopped. Felt like in the middle of the road and we got out and went to the game. <laughs> I think even that if that, that story is not true, we should keep it. I don't <laughs> I think agree. it matters. Well, the story's true. I just don't know why John Hartson makes me think of it. But I had a feeling that he had some role in the, in the match. He but did I can't play. remember. He did play. Tayo is showing me the uh, this is the lineup, And John Hartson was in a front three with Kevin Campbell and Ian Wright. Uh, now, James, yeah. uh, you wrote an article this week for The Athletic about Mikel Arteta. Mm. Um, the thing, there was a number of things that stood out for me, but one of them was you talked about what an effective communicator he is. Is that partly in comparison to, say, to Unai Emery, who, putting aside the language issues, mm. did not seem to be a particularly effective communicator? Of course, and actually, I, I think even with the language issues, you know, I think people who know Emery... Uh, from Spain say that he wasn't a great communicator that sometimes his ideas could be a bit muddled or that he'd use a lot of buzzwords that you know that sort of analysis of him exists it's sort of irrespective of the of the English thing how do people become managers top level managers if they're not great communicators because surely that's one of the main we're not just talking about football here any management job you need to communicate your ideas and get your team to do what you want them to do and he didn't well, he obviously did at some stage because yeah. he won the Europa League three times and uh, yeah. and had other successes. So, I mean, I, I agree that I, I find it a fascination because everything that we uh, we saw and experienced when he was here, and I had the same messaging from friends in France who said when he was at Paris Saint Germain, "Oh my goodness, you just he's impossible to understand." You, you know, you, he's talking in in tongues, and they they had the same impressions about his communication skills or, or lack of. So. Um, you know, although although perhaps there are certain periods of his life where that communication really clicked, it might be to do with the group that you're working with and, and how much they want to learn from you. Or the you fact know, so- that he was speaking his own language. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. But anyway, the point is you were talking about Mikel Arteta, yeah, who is exactly. obviously fluent in English and can get 
get his ideas across. He can, and, and he can do that to the players, and he can do that to the fans as well. That's what you have to remember. Every time a manager sits in a press conference, they're talking to the supporters, really, rather than the journalists. And I think what Arteta has said about all our games, about all our performances, has really encouraged and invigorated fans because they're like, OK, well, I understand what you're telling me. I see there's an idea here. I see there's a grander plan, and I buy into that. And I think that... We're seeing the benefit of that in terms of his man management. I mean, the fact he's managed to talk Granite Shack around, the, manage, the fact he's managing to get more better performances out of Meza Erzl, the fact that Ainsley Maitland-Niles is now very comfortable playing at right back. I think that speaks to Arteta's interpersonal skills yeah. you know, as much as his coaching ability. I also really liked it in his post-match interview um, on the weekend when he talked about the goal Arsenal gave away and went, I'm really upset with that. And I thought that mm. the messaging was interesting and that's something that, for example, Emery didn't do a lot of. He, he, you know, he, he, I think it's important that your players realise what's acceptable and what isn't, and yes. what where the improvement is needed and what the standards and levels are. And I think by coming out and making that a public um, bar, if you like, by saying this is what I what I expect from my team, that's that's a really good thing for Arsenal yeah. because you know the club has been allowed to kind of exist in this. Uh, in this kind of uh, limbo, in a way, where lack of leadership, y- y- yeah, for, for for too long, really. Yep. So that I think augurs well. Yeah, well, I mean, the, what he's got out of Meza Özil, by the way, who was a pariah under Unai Emery, and then has now been brought back in. But I think we're going to need more from him now, especially now we've lost to Birmingham to suspension. I mean, Meza Özil, he's not got a, a goal to his name this season in any competition. We've, nice. we've talked about an absence of goals in the team. It'd be lovely if he could step up and make up some of that shortfall. And one more thing about Mikel Arteta in your piece, and you were saying that mm. when they were talking about Mikel Arteta, Arteta to replace Arsene Wenger, there was a lot of the backroom staff were going, not Mikel, because his interpersonal skills were not that good at the time, but he seems to have improved them. He was a, a prickly character, and I think that's a consequence of having really high standards, basically, being very demanding, being very competitive. It doesn't mean you're always everybody's mate, and that was kind of his reputation when he was here as a player. I think you know he has worked on that to an extent. One of his big roles under Guardiola, he wanted someone who was a conduit between the players and the staff. And he Arteta, was the guy to go to, wasn't he? He played that role perfectly. And that, in doing that for three seasons or whatever it was, he kind of learnt some of those skills, those management techniques, basically, strategies for dealing with people. And now he's putting that into place in the job now. So I think, I'm not going to say he's a changed character, but he's, he's a skillful manager at this point, And that's what we require. One of the things he's going to have to do, and this comes down to your article, you wrote about Alexandra Lacazette and his goal drought one of the things you said was the way that Lacazette um, celebrated when Reese Nelson scored the goal against Leeds because it means that you're part of the group and you're happy for other members of the group when things go well absolutely and I, and I think for him to have done that at this point in his sort of striking life and uh, I, I was talking to a, a friend from L'Equipe uh, Vincent Deluc who, who is from Lyon, who has followed Lacazette yes. right from from boyhood, and he made some really interesting observations about him, and 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 he said that in all his years of watching Lacazette, he can't really remember him having a dry period quite you know quite as pronounced as this. And I was thinking to myself that I mean, all strikers go through patches and phases and and so on, and that's fine. But if you're not used to it and you, you kind of get a really bad one, age twenty eight, that must be quite strange because. You think you've experienced a lot of yeah. stuff in football by then and that you can handle things. And, and and Vassal suggested that one of the reasons he might be kind of being this great team player and showing this sort of positive face at the moment is sort of his way of coping. Because if he, you know, he can, he has shown in the past 
times when he can uh, be a bit emotional when things don't go his way. If he's been substituted, sometimes he's looked very obviously cross about or if he's not come on. And I do remember watching, you know, I thought the, the, that dynamic when when uh, Aubameyang first came was so fascinating because, you know, Arsenal have just smashed their transfer record for a striker in Lacazette. Six months later, do it again for yeah. Aubameyang. I mean, that's just quite out of character for us. It's a bit weird. And, you know, they obviously click so fantastically as individuals and to an extent on the pitch but you know he still has to be happy in himself Lacazette and I think he hasn't had the easiest time I think under Emery he suffered I think he took he took that onto the pitch with him his own frustrations Mm. and you can see a slightly different character now Uh, I think he feels that Arteta has given him that sense of uh, of trust, and I was quite shocked by the stats, even of of how many games that you know he did a full ninety minutes. Um, Always taken off. Always. I mean, well, it felt like, and I, you could see from his body language when he got, it was like, oh, guess what? I'm the one whose numbers called again, and you could see that it peaked him. No show, I mean, and, I and I think, I think main... he he feels differently now, which hopefully will will be enough to keep him sort of plugging plugging away until the goals come. I'm sure once the goal comes, everything will be well again. I mean, I think He's got point... a fantastic finish. He's scored some absolutely stinging goals. Those those low backlift angle strikes that, yeah. he's, that are his speciality. And you don't see others in the team that score a goal like that. And it's just like his balance isn't quite right. He just looks like his touch is just that little bit off and somehow I think he needs a bit of luck and he'll relax a bit. And let's be fair, in the piece, you did talk about the fact that he's still contributing and Mikel Arteta has made a point of saying how much he's contributing to the team. Yeah, he's really reinforced, I think, the work that Lacazette does, you know, apart from scoring goals. What a fantastic pass it was from Lacazette to find yes. his mate, Aubameyang. Uh, and, and I think he's embraced a bit of seniority. You know, we've got a lot of young forwards, people like Saka, Martinelli, Nelson. You know, Lacazette is 28. He's a fairly seasoned player. So we need people, you know, we talked about a lack of leadership. He's someone who could maybe step up and, and be a bit of a mentor for those guys. So that's very valuable too. When the captaincy was uh, up for grabs, just by the way, I did get the impression that it was really close between Lacazette and Aubameyang. He'd have liked it as well, wouldn't he? Mm, so mm. I just thought that was yeah. I think, I, I mean, one of the young players you mentioned there, James, uh, Martinelli, he has got a chance now to stake a claim. I was really glad when they brought him on, when they, when when uh, Ober uh, got sent off, and I don't think anyone's arguing that that was a red card, really, but when he got sent off, although Arsenal might appeal, incidentally, I'm not quite sure on what ground. Good, good luck to them with that. <laughs> but anyway, I like the fact that they got Martinelli on, and he does make a difference, and this is a chance for him to step in and, and stake a claim. Look, he's, his goals record, I, I think, is the next most effective after Aubameyang, yeah, uh, goals, which, considering his amount of game time, is uh, is is pretty exceptional for a you know a teenager from a, a different continent and league and country coming here and getting bits and pieces of games. I mean, he just looked ready from the off. Uh, he just probably needs to absorb a little bit more. Um, technical work a bit more strategic work where it's just he's got that lovely kind of um, bravery where he just wants to run with the ball but just that looking up just knowing when to pass when he's about to run into trouble or get tackled which will come with a little bit more experience but he, he's certainly not going to be afraid of the opportunity and you know that he's not going to be phased and that in itself is helpful but they do need a bit more of those goal touches from him be interesting to see if he plays wide or gets the opportunity to, to, to come inside a bit as well yeah, I'll be interested to see that too. I think what I like about Martinelli is he has got that courage on the ball. He <clears throat> he dribbles with the ball so well and he gets booted up in the air. You don't see many players who get fouled as frequently yes. as he does, but he never, ever 
it never gets to him. You know, he's he's tough as anything, Martinelli. Even though he's a kid, he's not callow. He is. He's you know he's been playing in Brazil against guys twice his age, kicking him up in the air, and nothing phases him whatsoever. I really like. It. I thought he made a really good contribution actually at the weekend, and he was involved in the chance where Pepe hit the post. He works hard in both directions. He comes back. He presses. Uh, I'm I'm obviously gutted. Aubameyang is going to be out for the three games, but I'm looking forward to seeing what Martinelli can do with the run in the team. Obviously, things could go really badly wrong now without Aubameyang. But if things do go well on people like Martinelli Profit, the other person I, I'm really interested in, and I think you just think might grab this opportunity is Pepe. Mm. I feel like he's close to scoring a lot at yeah. the moment. And, you know, this might be a situation where he's given that little bit more responsibility where Arteta turns around and looks him in the eye and says, yeah, I need, need those goals from you. And maybe this could be a, a bit of a next breakthrough moment where he finds that little bit more consistency and threat in front of goal because it feels like it's really, really close. See, we're going to choose a song now and I feel like Amy has already sort of basically chosen to accentuate the positive. <laughs> but I think that's fair enough. Oh, by the way, I, it's hard for me. I, I was looking for a song. I couldn't really find a song that denotes steady progress. Yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> the, you know, nobody really Green sings, shoots. hey, we've been together a while and it's it's going okay, yeah. isn't it? You know what I mean? It's nobody absolutely really, fine. Have we got any, uh, any songs that we think we can use? I, I just um, thought this is a time where Arsenal needs some new goal-scoring heroes to step up. So I thought Heroes by Ronnie Size. Can I have we need, I Need a Hero by Bonnie Tyler? Then. No. <laughs> we, do, we do really need a hero. We do. We don't need that song, though. Oh, all right, yeah, fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Well, well, let's give it to Amy then. I don't know no heroes. They can get the glory. When you dance with you know that it's all right. By the way, uh, before we go, uh, Teo did suggest Young Hearts Run Free for uh, Martin Ali. Uh, now, uh, I should say, we, you should uh, if you sign up now, you can get a 40% discount uh, for The Athletic, this is. But you can get a 40% discount by using the code ARSENALPOD. Uh, the other reason to sign up, of course, if you do and listen through the app, you don't have to listen to my advert, which might be the thing that clinches it. Thanks to James, thanks to Amy, thanks to Lee Dixon, and thank you, Tayo, for looking after us. Uh, this is Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off. Uh, thanks for listening. See ya. 